0: You're listening to Reba Radio, the podcast. From 18th to the 26th of November 2021, our annual Inclusion Festival took the form of a dedicated radio station broadcast live from the bookshop at the Reba's HQ in London, with me, Marsha Ramroop, the Director of Inclusion at the RIBA, hosting the discussions. Reba Radio, the podcast, is the speech only content from that radio station, themed and edited for your easy consumption. We suggest you make your way systematically through all episodes from the intro to the end to help you effectively on your inclusion journey. We hope you enjoy it and find it useful and applicable.
1: Sweet Solutions
0: CQ Action is about being adaptable and taking the actions to be supporting uh, of the underrepresented and being mindful of their needs and actions and reactions. When it comes to meeting the needs of the underrepresented in architecture and the built environment, there's some great people out there doing some great work that we can all learn from. And joining me to talk about this now is Rebecca Lovelace, Neil Onions and Deborah Williams. If I can ask you first, Rebecca, to introduce yourself and briefly describe how you you support the underrepresented can i say starting with the
2: recipe has made me really really hungry so um, thank you so much for having me i have taken the job title chief dot joiner and i took that very much as tongue-in-cheek my point is that we don't need to create yet another top-down industry initiative there are just hundreds of amazing grassroots initiatives that work with diverse underrepresented people and how about if we were just to enable them to do so much more together so that's what building people does we we aggregate opportunities we connect people we support the organizations that work at grassroots level and we are passionate about joining those dots
0: thank you uh neil if i can ask you to uh introduce yourself and and briefly describe how you support the underrepresented
3: sure so uh, i'm neil onions um i'm the founder of beyond the box consultants cic um we do that by co-designing so we don't think that we've got the answers so we don't design solutions for underrepresented people without them actually co-designing the solution with us otherwise we think it's ineffective so it's probably an overview of what what we do.
0: Thank you and uh, Deborah, you're with us as well Deborah Williams if you can uh, briefly describe yourself uh, introduce yourself and describe how you support the underrepresented.
4: Um, So I'm the founder of the Women's Association uh, and we simply exist to break barriers that prevent women and girls from having the freedom to dream or the tools to create authentically. Um, We have a number of different initiatives and programs we do with girls in different communities and uh, very similar to uh, the previous guest, we work with them to help design the programs that they feel they need. Um, to help really move things forward for them when it comes to how they navigate from education to employment
0: so Deborah, you don't uh specifically work in in architecture in the built environment Deborah's another guest brought on to to help show sort of the wider pieces of work that are going on that architecture in the built environment can benefit from so tell me a little bit more about uh, the women's association and some of those programs that you run
4: Yeah so I set up the Women's Association in 2019 and um, it was basically off the back of a series of research projects that I had done and events that I had done and the sole purpose of the events was to bridge the gap between women in the professional world and girls in education and I just kept hearing the same thing. There was a similar theme which was I feel weighed down or I feel held back because of other people's expectations of of who I should be and what I should be doing at a certain age and for me I felt like that was really a a great place to start and so this idea of being your authentic self kept coming back to me uh, through different people and so that's why I set up the Women's Association just to enable and support women and girls on their journey of being their authentic self and we started off with a program called the Executive Challenge where we give girls between the age of 12 to 17 access into the business world um, in three parts they get to speak to an executive um, they get mentored for six months and they get an executive experience which is where they'll be presented with a problem and then by the third day they have to um, make an executive decision on how to solve that problem and one of the reasons i did that is because we work predominantly with black girls and uh, a number of them are from low lower socioeconomic backgrounds And a lot of the conversations I was having with them was, we need access. But beyond just having access, we need support on how to navigate the access. Um, And so they were telling me stories of they've been mentored, they've had work experience, but they didn't really know how to get the most out of the experience. Um, And so we give them that. We work with them before they have the experience, during the experience and even after to make sure it's like a long lived process of support and empowerment.
0: Yes, yeah, sounds amazing. And uh, uh, Rebecca, when you look at your dot joining, is that kind of part of, of that experience to be able to support people to get the most out of the experiences that they might get as well?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, a key thing, we use the language enabling equality of opportunity across a fragmented careers landscape. And, and a key thing is helping people find organisations like the Women's Association. It's really difficult when you search the web to find this multitude of support that is actually out there that is available. So that that is a key part of what we do is enabling that understanding of what's available for the user for the individual but then also supporting the organizations to come together to collaborate and we, we have a challenge for next year which is to deliver coordinated consistent and collective careers action which is the request from our network so on the one hand it's how we can help the user navigate the that fragmented landscape so to find work opportunities opportunities to find events, to find resources, but vitally to find these organisations, but then also to add value to those organisations so they in turn can benefit from the aggregation that we do, bringing
0: everything together. Can you describe a bit of a journey for, say, someone, I don't know, uh, say say one, one of the 17-year-olds who, who might um, experience, uh, you know, uh, Deborah's uh, uh, programme and, and they, they think yes the built environments for me what what might the experience be if they come to to your website or your, your organization
2: so I'm, I'm going to
0: describe where we're
2: going so we, we are at startup stage and what we have done is we've created the evidence of what can be and, and our request now is across the whole of the sector join in join in by sharing these opportunities so the the individual where we'll be right now certainly we haven't we have more than a good substantial offer but it would be I am this sort of individual um, with this particular background, and I'm looking for this sort of opportunity. And then, what building people can do, it can say, right, well, are you aware of Black Females in Architecture? There's an organisation that could support you, um, or maybe the St- Stephen Lawrence Foundation. Um, we would then be driving the traffic towards the organisations that can help, but at the same time here is a list of opportunities. So from work experience to apprenticeships, internship, jobs. Also here are some relevant events that could be of interest to you. And whilst you're here, what about these resources? So recordings of podcasts, webinars, case studies, a day in the life of clips on YouTube. It's a simple aggregator. So that individual coming to us can easily access, we're simplifying that user journey, but they can access this multitude of opportunities Without sitting there, and if if you Google women in construction, um, you don't find the 80-plus organisations that we've already found. So we're, we're simplifying that and making it much, much easier. That's certainly where we are now. And when we get there in the future, it's going to be phenomenal.
0: Hopefully, amongst your resources, is Reba Radio. Uh, Of course. Um, Neil, if I can ask you about, you know, the kind of um, collaboration that you do in order to support the underrepresented. You talk about design being very much about listening to those voices.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We do it across a number of of different platforms really. So we work really closely with architectural practices um, to design social value programs that really engage with communities and young people on location, knowing that that community has the answers and solutions for what that community needs. So we do a lot of collaboration there, um, but we also do it through a creative lens. So actually, how do we really engage young people um, in the built environment if they're not necessarily wanting a career in the built environment? they can still have a say in how their community is being shaped or how those public services are being shaped. But they might want to do that through a radio broadcast or podcast series, which is happening on Broadwater Farm Estate at the moment with a youth collective we're working with. They're interviewing their peers and their fellow residents to find out what they want. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Need to radio, I'll lean in. Um, And another way that we're doing that is who we're actually collaborating with. So as a community interest company, the remuneration of fees we ensure goes back into the community. So we actually pay some of the young community members that we work with to work with us. Um, and then also those that we collaborate with in terms of local creative organizations, local architecture practices, emerging collectives, the recent, the recent People's Pavilion, um, the Poor Collective, supported them on their journey. They supported us with their insight, their experience and their knowledge. That inspired a whole generation of young people to actually engage in the built environment. As I say, even if they're not sure at that point that architecture or design is what they actually want to go into in terms of a career.
0: Um, Deborah money um uh it, it's 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 a a key part really of 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 the whole the economics behind supporting our underrepresented is maybe not quite what it should be how do you how do you navigate the finances around supporting these women
4: uh so i guess our strategy is to work with uh corporates to fund a uh, most of the programs that we do we're also building relationships with councils so we started a relationship with lambeth council um to fund us to work with some of the schools in the council because ultimately the the people that we are serving don't have the money to fund what we're delivering to them that they have said that they need um, and that's where one of the biggest fundamental problems is and when you speak to we recently for international day of the girl we launched the girls association which is a network of girls that come together to have events, to have conversations, um, and they take that into their schools. And um, when we speak to them, they talk about the fact that they want school to be kind of a place where they can develop their whole self, not just their academics and and, um, their grades. But when we speak to schools, they don't have the funding to provide that extra support. And then when we speak to corporates, it's kind of like, well, a lot of the people that we're getting applying for the roles don't have the skills needed to take on the jobs so okay if we all identified as a problem who's going to fund the solution and a lot of the times it's down with the corporates because they have most of the money and they're going to be looking for the people uh, that's going to take over the roles that they're in so that's kind of my main uh um kind of solution right now and how I attack that problem um but again myself I never Planned to be someone that was running the business it just kind of fell into my lap um and it was literally like a a, a burden but a, a burden of passion that i'd never experienced before and so for me having money conversations was so difficult until the point that i said okay this is going to be my full-time thing so i'm just gonna have to get over the difficulty um but also the girls and the women i was talking to really need what i feel i'm creating and so i can't allow the discomfort of speaking about money to stop me from creating what I feel they need to progress. And so that's kind of how I tackle it.
0: Deborah was really clearly talking about how she's trying to navigate this relationship with money in order to support the underrepresented. And you were nodding away there, uh, Rebecca. This seems like a very familiar sort of journey for you as well. I, I found it so hard not to leap in and just shout,
2: yes, it's so wrong. I get, to be honest, really irate, Marsha, when we come onto the topic of, of funding. Every organisation I know is scrabbling around trying to find funding, trying to find security. And it, it's just in an industry that is talking about the real problems we have around diversity and inclusion and professing this real desire to become more diverse and more inclusive. Why is there not joined up leadership on this agenda? that would support these initiatives. So so Building People was set up, um, and the same as Deborah, as a community interest company, so we're not-for-profit. I think it's really important that we are not-for-profit. We have a model of a little from a lot with the from myself, maybe very naive belief that if every professional body and trade association puts in a little, then that would enable building people to be free for everybody. But what we have is all the members in our network are all talking to pretty much the same organisations, the same developers, contractors, consultants, employers, uh, asking for contributions. And that's great, we have to do this, but wouldn't we all save so much time and energy and have so much more of a, an efficient focus? If the industry the sector, and when i when i say i i I very much conflate industry and sector, but if they were to join together and have that leadership, not just at the diversity inclusion level but across the whole piece, but particularly here to say we can have that focus, we can support a means to ensure that each organization can be so much more efficient and effective because we have funding and we're not walking around with the cap out, which really makes me
0: very, very cross. <laughs> Neil, you're also nodding away there. I mean, what what your thoughts on that? Do you consider yourself to be part of the, the sector here that could maybe create some of the um, impetus to, to create change around the funding?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of my background is supporting not-for-profits in accessing funding. It's a really complex and overly convoluted process (laughs) Um, the people's pavilion is um, a classic example i was actually a freelancer at the time of running that project Um, i don't know how we did it but we managed to raise almost a hundred thousand pounds but all of that went back into the collaborators because of that very issue so i was trying to test the model of actually how do you sustain underrepresented diverse talent into an industry where there is no funding available for them to test their ideas or actually work to see if something works or a new approach could be implemented when the funding just isn't there and there isn't the sharing of knowledge to support the emerging talent in how to access that funding. So we did it, I mean, the ROBA was kind enough to sponsor the People's Pavilion and that's a big thank you to Diane Small, the London Regional Director. Um, But we also launched a crowd funder and I went to corporate institutions and asked if they could use some of their CSR money um, and I applied for some funding in the foundation for future funding so it's really about diversifying where you go as well in terms of funding so you you, you can have individuals who want to support with 10 pounds a little okay. leads to a lot if you've got a lot of people su- supporting but there are also barriers in that in that funding cycle as well which I think are unnecessary um, and a lot of organizations that will grant awarding organizations release their 10-year strategy and it looks super inclusive and it looks fantastic and you apply with a program based on experience that you think this is exactly what they're looking for and you get a no now you're used to that if you're working in that sector that they can't fund everybody but then imagine that you're 18 and you've heard about the fund and you're applying for it for the first time you get a no what does that do to your creative idea and what does it do to that individual who wants to make the difference to the drive so resilience i think is a huge part of needing to to be embedded into your practice, if you're going to be a not-for-profit trying to run these incredible projects that everybody's talking about.
0: I mean, Deborah, when you when you hear what um, what Neil has to say there, um, what's your view about you know that how the architecture and built environment sector could change the way that they think around you know being more supportive of whether it's Women's Association or building people or other projects to support the underrepresented.
4: Um, I think it's just about evolving like there's so much that can go into that but what I mean by that is there's so much that that can mean but what I mean specifically is like Neil just mentioned there are a lot of grant organizations and also corporates that have designed their strategy for the next five to ten years and there's That's all they want to focus on. There's so many times that I've spoken to corporates, um, and it's like, okay, we're not there yet. We're going to get there soon when it comes to specifically um, like black girls um, or the black community. We're not there yet. Our current focus is on X group. But the reality is, you can't just focus one year or the next couple of years on one group. You need to be able to adapt and listen and just it is so interesting to me because i feel like diversity and inclusion is a human conversation but because of the how it's been adapted and and the political nature of the corporate world it's become like a tick box idea and a tick box exercise and so when a lot of people are looking to to solve problems it's like okay what company can we work with that will make us look good that has a lot of traction um and so a lot of the times up-and-coming organizations that are really doing the work with the community don't get seen because they just don't have the um attract attraction to these companies I remember one meeting I had and the person asked me how many Instagram followers I had um and at the time I was just like what I'm talking to you about girls and their future and you're asking me about Instagram followers and I just didn't understand it and I just feel like There needs to be a focus and the focus needs to be on human need. And when you focus on human need, you won't get caught up in this elaborate, um, amazing looking five-year strategy that actually doesn't really work in the second year or in the third year. You'll be focusing every year on, okay, what are the needs this year? What are the needs this month? Things change so much. Look at COVID, the impact that that's had on so many people. No one could have imagined that that would have Um, happened and so it's just being able to adapt but being able to listen to the needs of the people that we are working for because they don't always get a chance to speak out and speak in the rooms that we do but when we do speak on their behalf listen and and try to understand um the problem
0: listening so important isn't it Rebecca honestly everything that Debra's saying I'm just
2: nodding and nodding furiously to and for me it's this There is a tendency towards parochialism, towards we're okay, we're doing this for our profession, we're doing this for our trade. And this is my argument for joined-up leadership, that we need to have an approach which enables enables us to move on from it's just about the usp for a particular organization so, so the challenge we have is, is we say to, uh, to all organizations across the built environment from design right through to facilities management and um, demolition we say support what we're uh, what we're doing which is about enabling bringing together and they say well that's great but we've got our own mentoring program or you know we're doing our own particular thing focusing on this particular audience and that we have no such thing now, as I think, as a, lin- a linear career profile. People move from role to role. They, they move from professions and professions overlap and, and people move from trade to, to trades. So, so I do think where we're lacking is this, certainly this listening. So anybody out there listening, please you know, do to stop listening and start action. But it's actually, it's about understanding a holistic approach where we move beyond that the parochialism of only focusing on the the part that's important to us, and recognising that there are so many overlaps and so many synergies that we have to have a
0: joined up approach towards this this whole this whole challenge. Now, of course, uh, Deborah and um, and Rebecca aren't, aren't architects, but Neil, when when you look at the a sector of architecture it's very fragmented isn't it? it's very a lot of small medium-sized uh, firms a lot of sole uh, traders as well um, how can there be this joint up approach do you think that Rebecca's talking about when it is inherent in in the sector to go out and do your own thing mm.
3: Oh, i'm so glad you asked i wish we, you had another hour slot for this um i mean first of all i'm not an architect either uh, just to put that there um a lot of the work i've done over the years in working with um diverse led startups smes um within the built environment has led to a lot of larger architecture practices now starting to turn to us as an organization so you know do do you know who's out there and What's driving that, if people are being really honest, is a requirement now within a procurement framework for a lot of these larger architecture practices to ensure that they are supporting smaller SMEs. Some have been leading the way in a genuine um, way for quite a while and others you can tell are now, okay, well, this is now a requirement and we need to operate. And that's quite obvious because why don't you have those relationships with these smaller SMEs that we're talking about? because there are endless events and opportunities and programs. um, Many of which are also held here at the ROBA and you had Annette Fisher on earlier who's doing some fantastic work. So where are those architecture practices that are saying, oh, we we just don't seem to know who's coming through and who's emerging. And I use that privilege I have as a white man to say, actually, you need to ask yourself that question. Why don't you know? Yeah, what, what, why aren't you coming into these spaces? Why aren't you engaging in these conversations? Because therefore you will start working naturally with a wider group of architects, designers that can come onto your team. So that was actually something else we were trying to model with the People's Pavilion project that we did at Here East was who is in our team? Who? How can we support both the young person who wants to be a designer, the small emerging practices who actually need that break to say, We curated an exhibition and you've got that on your CV because that also helps with funding and it helps you create a track record just by giving that platform right the way through to which practices stepped forward and supported it financially. So I think for me, there needs to be a lot more um, transparency and and, and openness. And I know the Paradigm Network really well, who I know Yemi was was on earlier in the week. and they'll speak quite openly around the practices that they're leading, like Tara and Lanre are behind, that they are now in more of a powerful position to be able to choose and select who they work with. And that paradigm shift is actually something that's fantastic to see taking place.
2: Can I, yeah, go. So can I just chip, chip in? I just think Neil's point about procurement and the, the diversity inclusion agenda is absolutely vital, in a, if not now, when? So... When I started in in the sector, terrifyingly, 20 years ago, the talk was all about um, instant and injury free, the so safety on site. And then it moved to environmental sustainability, and then to CSR, and now it's on diversity, inclusion, and social impact, social value, and it's being driven from the top. So when in public procurement requirements, when the clients are saying this, that there, there's, and it gets pushed down through the supply chain. There's no place to hide. Well, there, sadly, there is, but there's no excuse. And if we can't do this now, when we have these drivers from the top, we have a real recognition. We have you know, the, the Me Too, Black Lives Matter, and and that's I think my real frustration is is if we can't come together and recognise all of these opportunities and support them to deliver what they you know, all that they can deliver. Then when it, it is it is now, and this I think is the
0: call to action from all of us. If if not now, when? Thanks so much to Rebecca Lovelace, Neil Onions, and Deborah Williams for talking to us about CQ Action, supporting the underrepresented. Now, another person who's doing great work in this space of supporting the underrepresented is Dana Walker of Built By Us. And she couldn't be with us live, but we sat down for a chat last week. And I started by asking her, who is Dana Walker?
1: Dana Walker. Um, sounds very strange to speak in third person, does not it um but basically i'm someone who's worked in construction um since leaving school um, which was quite unusual um for the time i went straight in from an all-girls school to being an electrician in an all-male environment and from there moved on to um, working in architecture Um, but there was certainly a common thread through all of those experiences which was the lack of diversity the lack of people who kind of reflected my lived experience or who looked like me. Um, That really inspired me to create something called Built By Us. So Built By Us is a social enterprise and basically we want to make change. Um, So this is something that even prior to Built By Us, I was really passionate about working with the RIBA through Architects for Change and through other organisations to to grow representation, to grow the diversity, to grow inclusion, because I think having diverse voices around the table means that we get better outcomes in our built environment.
0: So you talked about some of those lived experiences and some of the the, the challenges you faced. Do you mind sort of sharing a little bit about what, what that was like?
1: Yeah, well, I think there are two perspectives on this. I think, firstly, there's the experience of actually going through the process. So as someone who comes from, I guess, a working class family on quite a low income, um, it isn't expected now still, I think, and back then, um, that a professional career would be open for you. And it's not easy. And I have to admit, you know, I ask myself quite often, given the current landscape of needing to pay around £9,000 a year in fees, Would I have made the same choice? Um, So, I think there are some challenges in terms of bringing the the widest talent pool into um, the sector. And for me, that was one of the reasons I chose to be an electrician first, because having a trade would mean that I would have basically a safety net. So, you know, where is the um, safety net? Where are the pathways for people who are not from more privileged or more wealthy um, backgrounds? And then the other perspective, I would say, you know, having worked as an electrician I was working for the local authority so I was often working on projects that um where we had social um, housing and that kind of thing so you could see the impact of those designs of the built environment on um, working class uh, people you know um, access to pay play space having good quality um, schools and homes and that's one of the reasons when I got into practice I wanted to work for a practice that focused on housing focused on education because, like, ah, I need to be in there to um, help, I hope, to make a difference.
0: You're one of many people who said that if they had to start architecture training today that they would think twice because of the cost involved, and that's a real barrier, isn't it? So tell me about Built By Us and and, and what sort of difference you're trying to make with Built By Us uh, within the built environment and certainly around supporting the underrepresented?
1: Well, built by us um, takes a kind of holistic approach. So I think first things, um, we are pan professionals, so we work right across the built environment professions and so not just architects, uh, although we have lots of amazing um, architects and students taking part. And the other thing is that we're kind of multi-stranded, intersectional um in our approach as well. So we look at underrepresentation across the piece. Um, so that's gender, that's sexual orientation, that's ethnicity, that's disability. You know, it's a whole um, spectrum um, in terms of how we see diversity. Our vision is a world built by all for all as simple as that um, many of us as we you know change through our lives you know if you are a parent and you've ever tried to get from one side of london to another with a push chair and shopping and all the we know that the built environment presents challenges um if um disability um, as well in terms of your um, lived experience everything that we do is touched by the built environment um, and again i think you know it's incredibly important that we recognize that and make changes to the design of our built environment so it can be even more accessible so that's what built by us is engaged in um, so we do this in three ways um, there's advocacy so we talk about these sorts of issues um There is the work that we do with individuals so we run a number of mentoring um, programmes learning programmes so whether you're right at the beginning of your career considering your options right through to being a budding entrepreneur we have something for you in terms of um, support and opportunities to learn Um, and I think the other key area of work is working with organisations who are also thinking about these challenges how can we be allies how can we help how can we make change in our businesses that affect the individuals who want to contribute who want to work in the sector um, but also to the communities that we serve you know as a um, sector we are serving society we do not at present reflect society
0: so if an organization comes to you and says we want to work with you you know can you can you help us what does that involve it can involve
1: a whole range of things. So, you know, I'm a big kind of advocate for meeting people where they are. People are in different places on this um, journey and also in the discussion on um, equity, diversity and inclusion. Um, so for some organisations, it's thinking through what their strategy um, might be in their action plan but others it's well actually we really need to learn we need a better understanding and awareness of the challenges um, and for many who are now thinking well actually we haven't you know we're not diverse as an organization where can we access um that diverse talent what can we do better in terms of attracting a wider range of people um, so that's the whole range of things that we might involved in uh, be involved in rather um, with organizations
0: so an organization's got involved with you they've started to engage and they're starting to um, do things differently say um, how do you track that change are there any particular measures that you put in place to be able to see progress <laughs>
1: That is a great question, because I think measuring is key to this. What lots of organisations do and they do it um, with good intentions is to jump straight into activity um, and some sort of intervention. Um, They may do it for a year. They may do it for longer or less in some cases. But then at the end, they're not quite sure whether they've made the impact that they want to. So I think it's really important to establish right from the beginning what those metrics are, what success looks like for you. Um, um, in, in terms of the um, organisation, but also for the people um, that you want to affect. So if it's things like um, trying to attract um, a more diverse workforce, then, of course, we have the baseline of that sort of demographic measurement data um, for the organisation. Um, but there are other ways that we can think about um, tracking. And I think a really important part of this is the things that people experience It would be a mistake for us as a sector to go, oh, this is great. We've got so much diversity, but we don't keep people and we don't keep people because their experience isn't a great one. If they're hearing language, if they're seeing behaviour that doesn't feel supportive, that doesn't feel inclusive. They will leave. So it's really important that we're both getting that kind of quantitative, but also qualitative data.
0: And so, um, you know, Again, our fictitious organisation has come to you, it's doing this work, it's measuring it. What are the kind of outcomes that you like to see when you're working with an organisation?
1: This is a great question. Um, I love to see that um, diversity and inclusion has been taken on by the leadership or executive team as something core. Um, to their activity not a nice to do not a oh we've given that to Sandra to try and sort out on top of her full-time role um, it's something that they see as um, a part of everything that they do and it's owned by them I also like to see um, a focus on not only attraction but progression Um, Because I think this is another challenge for us. We don't necessarily have as many role models at leadership level. It's amazing how many people in the 21st century are still joining my mentoring um, programmes or built by us as mentoring programmes and saying, I can't see anyone at that upper level who's like me. You know, it's making me wonder whether, you know, in terms of progression, in terms of the future, I can truly see myself there. And I think people underestimate the impact and power that having diverse role models, um, having people who um, are challenging the status quo um, in leadership roles. So I'd love to see that um, I also really love to see goodness I'm writing a very big wish list here um, but I think that one of the things that we could do better is around our kind of management and lead leadership preparation. We are a sector that loves to throw people in at the deep end. You know, let's see what happens if we promote them. Hopefully um, they will be okay. But actually we can do a lot more in terms of um, supporting people, exploring um, leadership styles um, and challenging um, people to learn um, not just because you're able to deliver a project, say, now you're in charge of people. They're very, very different skill sets.
0: I'm, I'm laughing because I, I just have recognised this in the few months that I've been in the sector. That's really mm-hmm. quite significantly uh, uh, something that I picked up on. Um, yeah. So, Dana, if, if you could say, you know, you, this is this is an opportunity for you and, and the sector to sort of come together. What, in what ways can they engage with you and, and take their EDI, and uh, i equity, diversity and inclusion um, plans forward with, with an organisation like Built By Us?
1: Oh, um you know, this is what we exist for. You know, there would be no point for us to kind of be working away in a kind of little bubble. We really need um, the sector to be very much part of this. So um, engaging with us um, through the services and support um, that we can provide, um, but also recognising the um, opportunity to be allies. So joining as um, mentors and supporters of the programmes. You know, this is the way that we're going to kind of supersise our impact and our um, effect. We've got a lot to do because we have kept this on the nice to do list for so long. Um, However, I am truly encouraged by the sheer number of practices, the fact that we are having this conversation, um, the fact that um, professional bodies, um, um, sector leaders and organisations from, you know, 10 people right up to thousands of people are going, we can do more you know, let's work out how we can do it. And I'm so, so pleased that Built By Us is there as one of the organisations that says yes,
0: and this is how. Dana Walker of Built By Us.
4: You're listening to Reba Radio. Real inclusive, brilliant action.